Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Oh, say can in the political process. Honest. You, my friend, are part of the problem and not the solution. The church needs to rise. Rise. The Monica Matthews, Monica Show. Matthews Show. Welcome back to the Monica Matthews Show. Life, love, and liberty. Happy Monday to you guys. Hope you had a wonderful weekend. For those of you who celebrate Halloween, okay, good luck with that. <laughs> kind of feels like we're living in a perpetual state of macabre and Halloween in this country. I know many of you are wishing that you could just wake up from this nightmare. Uh, that includes me. So I'm with you. And as always, I like to bring people your direction um, who can inform and encourage and empower all of that and really enlist you to stay engaged. I think that the number one objective spiritually right now is to get you guys just completely worn out. And when that happens in the human spirit, you know, we become apathetic. And ultimately, I think that's how we found ourselves here, you know, over the over the past years as it pertains to politics. I think President Trump did a fantastic job of breathing life back into the country. Uh, most of you who listen to my show would agree. Um, and with that, you know, I'm thankful for that because we need it now. We absolutely need your fortitude and we need you to stay engaged. I think you can see what's happening right now in Virginia. All eyes are on Virginia, I have to say. I am, I've got, mm, I'm riding that thing that I tell you guys not to do. Um, I'm riding two horses right now with one butt about this because I believe that our election grid fundamentally is down. I believe that it is flawed on a number of levels and Virginia for sure has an uphill battle. Without a doubt, Yunkin should be, I mean, this is his election to lose, but I think with everything we've seen going on in our elections, um, you know, particularly in 2020, which have not been adjudicated, by the way, across the country. Um, I think there's a lot of um, a lot of concern for me. I'm looking at this as kind of a precursor to uh, the midterms as well as 24. So I think that's if you go into this objectively and soberly, you know, maybe you can mitigate some grave disappointment if it turns out a lot like California did. And many of you, you know, uh, shamed Californians for not showing up, but I don't believe that's true. I believe the poll showed that people were engaged. And whether you had a, a, a formidable uh, candidate or viable candidate or not, um, you did in, in the way of elder. And Republicans did show up. But again, I think when you have an election grid that is compromised, um, and I say that with all sobriety. I don't say that just because I'm a, uh, a Trump supporter uh, then, and I'll be a Trump supporter in the future. I'm saying that because um, of evidence 
you know, evidence really is evidence. Uh, I think things coming out now around the country, you can see for yourself that there are not only indiscrepancies, there are major issues and flaws, human flaws, as well as digital flaws. So without further ado, you have heard this gentleman on my show before, and I wanted to bring him back because as things heat up around the country, I love forming relationships with people where they are in positions of knowledge, right? In the know, they can bring us information in real time, not only opinion, but also years worth of hard work and uh, relationships, you know, things that they have, uh, that are capital, you know, in their quiver. We all have capital in our quiver. You do too. Um, in the way of human capital, experience, education. This is something that John Zadrozny brings to my show. He is the current uh, AFPI Center for Homeland Security and Immigration. Um, He is the director of that, and he knows a lot about immigration, a lot about homeland security. Prior to that, he worked uh, several roles, actually, in the Trump administration, including most recently as deputy assistant to the president in the office of the senior advisor for policy. And on my last show, when we had John on, we talked about the difference between policy, right? Kind of the chicken and the egg between policy affecting culture or culture affecting policy and how that pertains to what we see, you know, being legislated. And so, John, without further ado, welcome back to my show. Thanks for making time to visit with us today. Hey, Monica, it's great to be with you again. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. So listen, I want to jump right in with Virginia. Um, we're going to get to the $450,000 per person, which is nuts. And it's got the entire country up in arms, but I want to focus on Virginia. You are in Virginia. Uh, you just heard my, uh, diatribe about what I think could possibly happen in Virginia. You being the director, uh, for the center for Homeland Security and Immigration, apparently we've had a legitimate terror threat, um, in Virginia. And I kind of see that as timely. Is this legitimate? Uh, yeah, greetings from the Commonwealth, Monica. Well, I'll tell you, yes. Uh, on Friday, uh, the local authorities put out a warning uh, to communities in Fairfax and Prince William counties, and I live in Prince William County, basically saying there was an ISIS threat uh, that was uh, uh, believed to be targeting large malls or other large spaces in those two counties. Uh, I think they, I'm not 100% sure. I think they might have later expanded it to another county. Uh, either way, uh, it's really kind of horrifying because you didn't hear that in the last four years. Um, but when you when you have an unsealed southern Swiss cheese like border sure. uh, where there's virtually it's not even just open. It's willfully blind. Uh, the, the poor folks who work the Border Patrol are being told they're not allowed to figure out who these people are. Um, and then you've got people who are being loaded onto planes with virtually no scrutiny uh, and then transported to the U.S. and released in Ubers. Uh, you're going to have things like this happen again. And I, I, I forgot to mention that, you know, people forget um I think some people have sugarcoated the Obama years. There was a major terrorist attack on our soil every single year, each of Obama's eight years in the White House. Um, and I, I hopefully this was just an alert. Maybe there was some misinformation. Maybe it was accurate information, but the alert uh, prevented it from happening. I do remember in 2009, 2009, in the first year of Obama's administration, that was when Fort Hood happened. And it was in November. Right. Um, and so I'm not necessarily drawing parallels. I'm just saying I do worry it was a similar open borders environment. Uh, and then you see people coming over a border. We don't know where they are. They show up one day in a community and they kill 20 people. And um, I do pray that we don't see that. Uh, but it is a consequence of an irresponsible administration that really just wants amnesty and doesn't care about the cost to you and me. Sure. I think there's a lot of that. Also, could it be, you know, you know the fear tactic of just stay home? Because there is an election. You know, I had, 
I hadn't even thought of that, Monica. Uh, I don't necessarily, you know, perhaps I will say this, though, that the nice part about our side is we are made of sterner stuff. And I don't think that's going to keep anybody away from the polls on our side. Uh, but, right. the, you know, the mask wearing betas, maybe. Um, but mm-hmm. the real Americans of Virginia will show up and we'll be fine. Uh, so we'll see. But I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, <laughs> my political consultant yeah. hat. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, yeah, what's the quickest it, way it, to make people stay home? Hmm, COVID, uh, uh, a terror, uh, an, an imminent threat. Uh, you know, stay home. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest with you, John, I think people at this point are to the point where, um, someone could literally be standing there shouting, uh, Allah, Allah Akbar, whatever. Uh, and they, they would still vote. They would still cast their vote and be like, excuse me, dude, but I, I got to cast my vote because we see what's happening on this soil. And it's like, this, this can't stand. Now I, I hope that doesn't mean that we're still placing all of our hopes at the feet of, you know, of our leadership. Because as we see, you know, without without God, this is just my plug, without God being first in the country, you know, us always looking to politicians and legislation and policy and no offense, but all of these things that are, you know, hopefully uh, pinned with good intention, you know, toward mankind and not ill will, uh, we see how frail it is. We just do. We have a constitution we're not honoring right now, hence why the borders are open. It is maddening to me, and you're going to have to explain this to me. I don't understand how this president has not been impeached. I don't understand how the entire cabinet, I, I don't understand how this is possible, that our borders are completely porous to the extent that they are, and there's zero accountability. What should be done right now with regard to that accountability? That's a good question, Monica. So the problem is at the federal level, there's almost virtually nothing we can do right now. Um, it, obviously, the Biden administration is in charge, and they are they are held out to uh, causing damage, not just in immigration, Monica, but basically every issue they touch, they've destroyed. I mean, everything the left touches dies. Right. Um, and we're we're seeing that now in spades. Um, in in some ways, I, I think like tiny theory. I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I think the left saw how close, uh, how much that the gig is up basically in terms of how they maintain power in this country and they need to move faster. Right. right? They've had a luxury of making it think that they were actually winning elections. Now we know that there's a substantial amount of fraud involved in most of their efforts because they need it. Uh, and the wake up call of last year for the American people has put them on notice and they have had, they're out of time. Um, but in terms of what making them do certain things, it's really difficult when you don't run the executive branch. Sure. Um, you know, winning Congress next year is not a cure all, but, it would be helpful if we have strong people who sure. are actually asserting power if and when they win the majority back in the House. Right. Uh, that can make a difference. Uh, honestly, right now, though, I think the most important thing that can be done for accountability is state and local leadership. You can control what happens locally. You can control what happens at your state level. Virginians have a chance tomorrow to send a message and make sure they're controlling their communities again. And I think that's really the only way to stave off what we're seeing coming from Washington. I tell people, help's not coming You need to take care of yourself locally, do what you can in your communities locally, run for school board, run for mayor, run for city council. Um, Don't wait for Washington to save you. If anything, I think that's something that's caused us a lot of damage over the last 50 years. Always looking to Washington. Even the the small, so-called small government conservatives among us always tend to be excited and focused on Washington. It's the wrong way to go. Sure. No, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, I was watching Prince Charles's comments today. Um, or yesterday, rather, you know, talking about by whatever means necessary, you know, needing to usher in kind of this, this, this global movement of, you know, 
essentially European unionizing, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, the, the talk about an oxymoron coming from the Brits, but, but it is, it's a globalist agenda, right? But it's, it's, it is this sense of, um, I feel like the wave, the tsunami that's coming across our borders is not just with this administration. I don't, I don't feel like those underpinnings started here with this administration. I feel like this has been building and coming from across the waters for years, uh, for decades. I've said that as Americans and as a political consultant, I can attest to this. We think in terms of four year cycles and that is the extent of the, of the American mindset as it pertains to running this country. And sadly, I believe our enemies, if you will, um, even those we, we trade with and have agreements with that are never honored, by the way, uh, to our, you know, benefit, which President Trump so succinctly, you know, made manifest and, and made us aware of over the past four years. And I think that they have concocted this, you know, globalist hundred year approach, uh, which we now see manifesting full force. And so it's, it's tough. And whenever people we now we can touch on, and I want to touch on where the children are going too. So keep that in your hat. But since we're here with, with $450,000 payments, you know, people thought Monica, that's crazy. That's so hyperbolic. That'll never happen. I'm like, well, stranger things, first of all, have happened uh, through this administration and other and former Democrat administrations. So is that even, is this true? I, I mean, I, I have it on good authority that it is, that it is being contemplated, but exactly where is this money coming from? Which money tree are we pulling the 450000 per person from? Uh, Monica, that's coming from all the people who are listening to your show right now. Uh, they've decided that, uh, this, as far as I know, this is a real proposal, but it is at this point just a proposal. And it's obviously drawing quite a bit of backlash from a lot of different people for a variety of reasons. Um, uh, they are proposing uh, giving $450,000 as a settlement payment to every alien who um, was involved in the family separation uh, family separation process that happened for a little while in 2018 under the Trump administration. I, I don't even know where to begin with how egregious this is. Maybe I could start with the fact that um, that's more money than most of the 9-11 victims' families have received as a result of payouts from lawsuits that have happened in the past. It's more money, as far as I know, that most uh, family members of U.S. Armed Forces decedents receive for their losing their loved ones on a battlefield protecting this country. And it's not even like a per-family thing. It's a per-person award. So you could literally see like a, a so-called family uh, of several people walking away with more than a million dollars under this. Um, for, for several reasons, I think this is insane. One of which is we flat out don't have the money anymore with these types of things. We, we're playing with monopoly money at this point in our government, and it's really ridiculous. But then also, you know, in addition to the insult to most Americans who are paying for it, to the insult to 9-11 victims' families and military victims' families, um, it's also, sorry, you came here illegally, and right. you don't receive right. a benefit for coming. I mean, it's ironically, <laughs> like you would think, if, if any, if the, the only incentive that we basically have to say is, for illegalities, that there's an illegal, you don't get anything as a reward, and now they're basically making illegal traffic right. uh, monet, monetizable. Like, yes. it's insane. In fact, they keep saying, we've said the border is secure, we're not letting people in, we're telling people to stay home. Well, you just told people to speed it up. Yes. Um, like, you can't, can't think of another way to create incentive, because now, even though, yes, that proposal has to do with people who were allegedly separated back in 2018, 
you don't think people overseas are now rushing, hoping they get separated? Maybe there could be another <laughs> settlement that they'll trigger? Exactly. And, and, and Monica, also one other thing I wanted to mention. Yeah. So this, the, the Obama administration did something, we refer to it as sue and settle. Uh, basically, they would kabuki it with their friends on the outside and these liberal nonprofit organizations to file a lawsuit. You know, they would say, hey, there's this regulation we don't like, but it'd be really great if you sued us over the regulation. Wow. And then they'd get in a federal court, and then the Obama administration would say, you got us, let's settle. And they basically shut down the regulation or do whatever else they would want it to do behind the scenes. Now, I'm pretty sure that's illegal. Um, but even if it's not illegal, it's inappropriate. And uh, this is basically the restoration of Barack Obama's sue and settle policy. Yep. Like, I'm sure it was some nonprofit friend um, who triggered these lawsuits uh, in the past on the, on the family separation uh, process. Sure. Which have now led to the Obama, the Biden, well, it's the same thing. The Biden administration <laughs> saying, "You got us." Yeah. Uh, and now they're going to start dishing money out the door. One note for your audience: yeah. it's important to remember that these alleged families are not families. Many of them were not families, uh, and this is partly why we were doing it because what we found was children were being used as chattel. Yep. Um, human trafficking, human smuggling was a significant problem. And what was happening is children were basically being rented by their parents or people who might not have even been family members to other people who would then take them, you know, probably injure, rape them, God knows what, on the journey, get to the border and say, this is my kid. And they would gain access to the country as an alleged family unit. And then they would disappear. And then someone would put that kid on a flight back to uh, San Salvador and they would recycle him all over again. Right. And we were trying to stop that. Um, and that was what people pushed back on and said, this was a bad thing. We shouldn't do this. And we, we caved, unfortunately. But um, oh, interesting. that's what was, we were trying to stop. We were trying to stop trafficking. We were trying to stop smuggling. And um, right. that's all happening now again because of the current dynamic that we see. What was your main roadblock? When you say we tried and we, and we, and we failed, we were unsuccessful, who or what was your main roadblock to that success? There, are, that's a that's a great question. There are a few people whose names I'd like to mention, but won't right now. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. But the the problem is that there were a lot of people who in the federal government who were obsessed with being not viewed as mean, okay. and um, instead of just doing what we needed to do on immigration, following the law, making sure that our borders were sacrosanct and that we were putting people at risk, um, they never quite wanted to. Uh, to come off as mean. And so that was part of the, unfortunately, that was what happened when, when um, the family separation policy went, um, went by the wayside. Okay. Uh, there were also people who were saying we couldn't, so get this, um, there were people who were saying we couldn't do it because we were in violation of a settlement that happened in court. You're speaking of liberal administrations, the damage they caused. Uh, more than 20 years ago, uh, there was a lawsuit um, which has become known uh, in immigration circles as the Flores Settlement, okay. uh, where basically a court um, allowed the Janet Reno Department of Justice under Bill Clinton to settle a case against the federal government for providing inadequate housing for unaccompanied alien children. And in, in the 20 years, 20 plus years since then, we are still governed by a settlement. In other words, a court still has jurisdiction over certain things that we can and cannot do regarding the housing of unaccompanied alien children. Huh. And um, no one, no one has stepped up. In the, I mean, we tried. Actually, we did. Okay. Um, I know we had worked with or tried to work with Congress to get them to pass something, but Paul Ryan was determined to prevent us from being successful as Republicans right. uh, while he was Speaker. Right. Um, 
and we were unable to get legislation. Theoretically, a member of the House could introduce a bill if we could ever get it passed, just saying we hereby declare the Flores settlement uh, null and void, right? And it's over. Yeah. So um, based but, on a settlement, usurps legislation. Yeah, uh, it's kind of remarkable, and it, it's kind of that um, it was the precursor to the okay. Obama sue and settle dynamic. Got it. Um, but I, I don't think it was an un. Um, I'm not even ascribing negative motives to the settlement and the Flores settlement agreement. Right, right, right. Because right. that was 1997, 1998. Okay. To me, it's just embarrassing that in the 20 plus years since we sure. did, we had you know yeah. we had the tail end of a Clinton administration. We had eight years of President George W. Bush. We had eight years of Barack Obama. And then in none of that time did any of them even think, gee, maybe we shouldn't be under the thumb of a court. Maybe we should be administering this program as the executive branch. That's right. Um, That's right. Well, we see that a lot now. I mean, we, it's amazing how much under many thumbs it appears that we are under by courts uh, and courts that have been completely uh, politicized uh, and weaponized, I might add. Um, it's scary. You know, I'm, I'm watching what's happening with uh, some of the J6 defendants. And I just shake my head sometimes, you know, in, in these very, uh, you know, Hitler-esque. And I, I don't use that hyperbolically. You know, I mean, I have family who survived and some family who didn't. And so, and some family who were directing, you know, the entire uh, massacre. So I get it from all sides. And I'm watching this unfold. And I actually get kind of fed up with the hyperbole around this sometimes because it does diminish the seriousness, you know, uh, of the state of the country and the direction that we're heading in with the ability, the inability to even offer dissent, you know, any form of dissent opinion, uh, you know, criminalizing thought and feelings. Um, you know, I take corporations to task on this um, pretty relentlessly on LinkedIn primarily. Uh, and whenever I'm asked to come and speak, you know, I'm like all of your diversity, inclusion and equity, listen, you know, we get it, but all of this is propaganda, uh, every bit of it. And, and, and all of it feeds this machine. You know, if we're God driven people, John, this is my humble opinion, then I don't need someone to teach me that we're all created equal. I can read that for myself and accept it and treat people accordingly. I don't need someone to, you know, uh, spurn this, um, inclusive and diverse and, you know, basically, uh, you know, uh, not only it's kind of like a psychological reparations, you know, a, a, a corporate reparations, if you will. And I see affirmative action, you know, all over like ad nauseum, but in reverse, you know, where it's like, well, it's no longer a meritocracy. And so it's like that with, you know, with, um, with our borders as well. I love what president Trump had the right mindset. I believe, um, a lot like, you know, uh, Taiwan, you know, it, we're going to invest in our people, our people, our number one capital. I said at the beginning of the show, and um, and the Taiwan, the Taiwanese figured out a long time ago that if we invest in our people to make our nation as good, you know, as best as we can be, uh, which is why President Trump was like, "Hey, bring your, send your best and your brightest, and you're welcome here." Right. And, and I don't think there's anything nationalistic or supreme about that. I think it's just kind of like, this is our country. We have borders, we have standards, we should have assimilation. Talk about that a little bit. I, you know, this is just going to be kind of a conversational show today as usual, but I'm now that I have you, you're going to be held hostage. So I want to know more about, you know, why aren't we, is it really because people think it's mean to ask, uh, uh, migrants to assimilate 
into into this country is that is that really the mindset behind no just bring everyone in no matter what your ideology is and we'll pay you to be here illegally well i, I would say monica I, this theme of uh you, there are people who are there are layers of problem right i don't yeah. even know where to begin but i think that you know looking at the republican side of the aisle i think there are people who are you know it's more in the camp of enforce the laws be strong. We have no choice. There are sure. laws. That's what we were raised to understand to do. Sure. Um, one thing we found in the Trump administration, though, is we actually tried to do that. Um, we invested quite a bit of energy in enforcing laws that literally, Monica, had been on the books for 30, 40 years and no one had ever lifted a finger to enforce. And what that taught us was, and then when we did so, um, some people, even on our side, went apoplectic and started pearl clutching. Wow. Uh, and they were appalled. And we said, this is literally law. This was literally passed <laughs> during the Carter administration. This was passed during the Clinton administration right. by a Republican Congress and signed by a Democrat president. And what we came to learn is um, a very sad lesson, which is all too many people in Congress, unfortunately, both Republicans and Democrats, like to pass laws that look good, but never actually want them applied. Right. And when you do apply them, people start gnashing their teeth and yelling at you and saying you're mean and you're horrible. Um, that's really as big a problem on the conservative side of the aisle as, as not on the conservative, but on the Republican side of the aisle, sure. on the Democrat sure. side. Um, but at least most Republicans, I think, now are in a posture of being in favor of law enforcement, understanding we have to fight for honoring the law, respecting the law. If you're not going to honor a law, you might as well pull it off your books. Um, sure. because you're doing damage to the concept of law in general. But then you've got the whole other side of the coin, Monica, which is the left. The left will always use the emotional heartstrings to win an argument. They're, they Everything's a talking point to them, right? So like, if we're talking about the law, they're going to talk about kids, right? Yes. Um, they're always going to segue to the heartstrings, and unfortunately, our side just doesn't have the stone sometimes to say, no, no, sorry, we're enforcing the law. By the way, we care about Americans first. Yeah. Uh, that's the most important thing. Um and, and I can't, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up. All the chaos we're seeing is all intentional. It's all engineered. Um, and I think it comes down to the left's desire for an amnesty, which they, I think they right. need. I know it's hard to see in these moments, but I always, last time we talked, I talked about silver linings. I still very much believe in them. Sure. Um, I think the left's losing, and I think they know it. Um, because you don't do the thing that they're doing, if you think you're, you're, you represent the people and you're comfortable and you're, you're leading with their mandate. Um, yeah. So you don't let in millions of people across your southern border in the hopes of giving them an amnesty. That's right. You don't um, use critical race theory to steal other people's kids' minds in school, right? right? You don't need to do that. You don't steal elections because you don't need to because you can win elections. Right. Um, I think what we're seeing is sort of a – when you take everything over the last year plus in context – um, you know, you had the Trump administration making some changes. We we obviously always felt like we could have done more, um, but that administration made some people's heads explode. Sure. Um, the left took advantage of certain dynamics to try and cripple him at every turn. COVID happened. It was the perfect um, globalist excuse to do all the things we're seeing now. Sure. Um, and in the last year, after they stole the election, it's been pretty clear that they're rushing quickly because they know they're out of time, I think. Um, so, sorry, that was a long-winded way of saying yeah. I have some. I see some silver linings, and I see lots of different problems in the immigration space. But I think we're finally at a point where people are saying, "Look, these simple solutions are things we need to seriously pursue." Building a border wall, common sense thing, can't sure. be turned off by mm -hmm. a corrupt administration. Just finish the damn wall. Right. Um, right. 
we'll finish the damn wall and then enforce, you know, enforce someone's ability to actually enforce our laws, you know, on the border. I mean, I'm seeing where you've got, there's this one, uh, you know, basically Minutemen, you know, uh, domestic militia group who's unarmed, you know, but they're down there at a border town, basically standing between uh, the illegals coming over and the town's residents. Because there's no law enforcement there, and ranchers are being, I mean, I'm hearing horror stories from the border. Uh, You know, you've got squatters, you've got MS-13, you've got gangs coming over saying, hey, we want the back five acres of your 400, and we're going to take it. And if not, this is what we're going to do to your family. You know, these are the stories not being told, quite honestly. And um, and and I'm not one to head down to the border right now, but there are plenty of people down there who are seeing these things happen firsthand that should leave all of us aghast. I will tell you, John, candidly, I don't think the nation holds uh, if this were to actually go through with a $450,000 payout to per person, as you said, to alleged family members who were allegedly separated separated um it won't hold because the the country and, and i'm sure that's pretty much the boiling point that this administration wants to get the country to um but it, it won't because people are completely done with what's happening they're aghast to what's happening in in the country so i um you know we still got audits and all of that going on or or they're you know they're chanting for audits here in the state of georgia we see what's happening in wisconsin you know arizona uh so many things have come to light again attempting to criminalize those who continue to espouse that there was some form of an election grid problem in 2020 i firmly believe that it's it's impossible for us to move on intact uh, without adjudicating 2020. That's just my opinion. I want to talk about the babies. Where are these children going? I mean, we know there are thousands of children crossing that border that are, like you said, being trafficked. And I kind of feel like they're being trafficked stateside as well. How are we keeping up with these children? And where, who are the agencies or the, or the, the uh, NGOs that are, that are, that are taking these uh, children? Well, um, with respect to, uh, I guess, the unaccompanied alien children, um, it's we have a real, real problem. I don't think the American people realize how big a problem it is, and um, it's a problem for several reasons. One of which is, let me just give a quick overview of how this is supposed to work. Sure. Let's just say you uh, you're border patrol and you encounter a minor either at a port of entry or between ports of entry, meaning in the desert, and they're trying to cross illegally and they're by themselves. And they say, I'm a child, or you can tell they're a child, and they say, I don't have any parents with me. What they're supposed to do is they're supposed to go into a federal facility. Um, actually, all this is all wrapped up in the Flores settlement I mentioned earlier. Um, they're supposed to go to a federal facility where we basically pay private facilities to care for these children. Um, and then, in theory, if there's someone in the country that knows them, or family member, or friend, or whatever, they could theoretically apply to be a sponsor. And be given that basically the sponsor can house these children kind of like a foster care arrangement. Um, that's how it's drawn up on paper. But here's what actually happens. Okay. Um, we have a, there are many, many more variations on these themes, but there are two basic themes that we have as a problem. Uh, one of which is uh, MS-13 is manipulating the ORR housing system. So they are literally, basically, they, they play this government like a fiddle. Uh, you get people who are Sometimes they're not even minors. Like sometimes you get people who are 19, 20, 25. Right. Um, you know, and they show up at the border 
uh, and they say, I'm a 17-year-old minor, but they've got, you know, a five o'clock shadow and tattoos all over their face. Sure. And uh, it doesn't matter because the Border Patrol is told just whenever they say they're a child, just send them to ORR. The Office of Refugee the, Resettlement. Right, is, okay, right. Thank you for clarifying yeah, that. Yeah, ORR is the Office of Refugee Resettlement. It's part of the Department of Health and Human Services. Okay. Um, and uh, they literally just sent them. I mean, we had, a, we had a few fights with some of the people inside CBP where they would say, um, yeah, no, we have to get them out the door immediately and send them to ORR. And I said, so you're okay sending a 25-year-old MS-13 <laughs> gang member to a facility full of children? Right. Uh, right. And they didn't have a good answer, and it was shameful. Right. Um, and they did very little due diligence. It's almost as if they didn't want to know. Um, and it was because they just didn't want to house them. They wanted to dump it on ORR and have it be their problem. Um, and we did, I worked very closely with the, the leadership in ORR in the last uh, year of the administration. And uh, there was a wonderful uh, political director there who did a fantastic job at the very end. And she basically figured out that a lot of the people who were lying to us at the border you know, they're walking in, let's say, let's just say for the sake of argument, they were a minor. It didn't really matter. But like they say, I'm a 16 year old, I'm a 17 year old. Well, what we would do is we basically be putting an MS-13 facility, a member in a facility full of children. Uh, so in addition to all the, the potential damage to these other kids that we could have caused, uh, they're basically, you know, they're getting three hots and a cot. They're recruiting. Wow. And then we just release them and they just walk out the facility and they're on their own. Now, it, we did some back of the envelope calculations and figured out that at least at least one-third of the uh, U.S. Department of Justice MS-13 indictments over the last three or four years mm -hmm. prior to 2020 uh, were people who had gone through the ORR system. That means that we, for, we failed to detect an MS-13 gang member in these ORR facilities and just let them out. And then they went and killed somebody, killed somebody's daughter, killed somebody's son, ran a drug right, ring. Right. Uh, and then they got indicted by the Department of Justice, and everyone in DOJ just kind of shrugged. Um, it, but it's a big deal. And everyone in HHS is drug too, by the way, which is a shame. Right. The other problem, though, is the one we talked about earlier, which is let's say they are actually a minor. Um, and let's assume an innocent child who has nothing to do with anything. They're just being used as a pawn here. Um, they're, they're paid for by their parents who are they're part of a smuggling operation. Their parents are not innocent actors here. Sure. Um, they're basically turning over their children for a fee to have them help someone get into the country, but if that somehow falls apart, they can still be a UAC, then that means they're sent to an OR facility where someone applies to be their sponsor. Now, don't get yourself. Most of these people are not even related to them. Sure. Um, and even if they are, there are questions of suitability. And I, I have to say that there were some really shameful people, including political appointees at HHS, who didn't care. Um, they didn't care who these people who were claiming to be sponsors were. Uh, they didn't care if they were safe. They didn't care if it took a little longer. I, I know that a few of us were trying very hard to make sure that we weren't releasing uh, children to people who were unfit to see them. This wasn't even about immigration status. Actually, we had gotten to the point where we were basically willing to say, we don't care about your immigration status. You're not immune from being removed from the country, but we don't care about your immigration status. We just need to know if you have some you know, radical demands like, do you have a job? Do you have health insurance? Is there a sex offender in your apartment? And so on. And the, the response right. we got from uh, one of the appointees who ran uh, the administration for children's, children and families inside HHS, plus a few other people were, said, well, it's too expensive for us to keep hanging on to these children. Wow. So was this a Trump appointee? To, was yes. This? Wow. She was a Trump appointee. Uh, and she didn't really want to do anything to help these children. She, she, she said, you know, we've got to, we just got to get them out the door. It costs too much. That's what the careers are telling me. 
And I said, so let me get this straight. You are okay with children being raped, trafficked, abused, murdered, because it costs us a little extra. Keep in mind the federal government spends 11 gajillion dollars a year now. That's not even real money. Right. And so all of a sudden that we're penny pinching over the life of a child. Right. Um, this was a real problem, and it still is a problem, by the way. It was a, it was a problem we were in the process of cleaning up, uh, but the Biden administration has flipped everything back in the opposite direction and it's back to chaos and trafficking. Oh, sure. Yeah, and you're not allowed to profile. So I, I do I do quite – well, I have in the past, uh, you know, hung out with my the anti-criminal uh, gang folks here in the state of Georgia, and they've taught me a lot about uh, these gangs. And it's, it is beyond frightening. Um, it's vile. It, it is positively wicked, demonic on a level. Most humans could not stomach some of the things that these guys subjected me to watching. Um, and I'm glad I did because I have a much better understanding of just how demonic this is. Um, and and profiling is part of you know creating kind of a nexus if you will and in understanding you know with whom it is you're dealing so when a 25 year old you know five o'clock shadow dude walks up with you know raindrops off the side of his face and tats of he's telling you exactly who he is the allegiance is right there on his body so it's a shame that again you know the democrats use things like shame and feelings uh you know to 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 uh, run roughshod over things that are just very objectively pure, I mean, pure, honestly, and clean and clear right in front of you. And so when it comes to these gang members, you know, it's interesting. So it's like they have their own enterprise running directly through our government that, that we pay for. Um, and they just come collect, you know, their new gang initiates. I mean, that, that's what it sounds like. And from what I understand, you have a stronghold uh, right there, possibly, allegedly, uh, in Virginia where this is taking place. And so it kind of it makes me wonder when, when political appointees like that uh, and others are so quickly willing to just hand over children, you know, that's when I start saying, okay, could someone please start following the bank accounts of these people? Could you please start following the money? I know that's a hell of an assertion, but at some point, you know, it's like if you don't have a conscience regarding your own children, our own children, and and you you you're in this position of authority and you're going to tell me that there's that you cannot see the connection between trafficking going to an MS13 enterprise right there under your nose someone has either been extorted they have been blackmailed or they have been paid on some level uh, to keep this crap running and it just makes my blood boil and i know last time you were here we talked about the Catholic Charities and others who, um, you know, who have been a part of this, this cabal, if you will, um, as well. And it's maddening. It, it is, and, and I don't believe God is actually going to stand for it for much longer, personally. Uh, and I'm, and I'm, I'm damn glad for that. But profiling, you know, we've been told we're racist for profiling people. And, uh, you know, there are certain things that you do look at in, in this case. And a 25-year-old coming across the border espousing that he's some kind of a child is just sickening. So let's get, uh, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's, it's not profiling to use your brain. You know, yeah, when you, you see someone who's basically saying, I'm a threat, and you don't <laughs> right. assess him as a threat, you have an IQ yeah. issue. Thank you. And, and what, we were, what we were basically allowing to happen, I mean, this is the way I generally like to put it, because it's completely, unfortunately, very true. Yeah. The U.S. government, your taxpayer, uh, tax-funded government, 
is a, is a taxpayer-subsidized final leg of a human trafficking journey where most of the federal employees involved turn a blind eye to the welfare of children. It's the most disgusting corruption that I've ever seen, yeah. and it's real. And it's uh, you're funding every inch of it from um, the Border Patrol agents who are who kind of turn a blind eye to a dangerous person at the border yeah. to um, the HHS personnel who are okay giving a child to a questionable sponsor. Right. Um, they are part of it. And uh, I think one thing I, I don't I'm not naming this at any particular person, but I mean this sincerely. I think in the future we really need to start criminally prosecuting people who are this negligent. Yes. Um, the government has done an amazing job of insulating itself from liability over the years, but even under current federal law, mm-hmm. there are lawsuits. Uh, I'm sorry, there are there's a statute, or there are there's at least one statute uh, that can be used to uh, go after individuals who are grossly negligent in their duties. Yep. And I think we have to start taking a hard look about uh, prosecuting people who don't do their jobs or do something bad. Like, for example, I don't want to segue into another subject, Monica, but when we start catching people who are responsible for election fraud, these people need to spend their lives in prison. Correct. If we we put people in prison for stealing a car, why don't we put people in prison for stealing democracy? That's right. Um, We really need to start thinking about that. And if if we're going to stop it, if we're going to prevent it from happening again, we have to put the people who do this with reckless abandon on notice that we know who you are. Sure. We will stop you. When we catch you, you will rot in a prison. Right. Um, and I that's agree. just the way it's got to be. Yeah. So, I, I agree. Um, yeah. Along Sorry, those Monica, lines. No, 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 no. I'm glad you went back there because that's where I was going anyway. So I want to go back to Virginia. <laughs> I want to go back to Virginia because, you know, we're coming up on that tomorrow. And I know you have a, an op-ed that is about to be released. Is that right today? Uh, in theory, uh, yeah, it, uh, talking about uh, the, the the Attorney General Merrick Garland's egregious threat oh uh, to God. identify uh, parents in the yeah. Commonwealth here in Virginia, but across the country as domestic terrorists. Right. Uh, you know, it's, it really is quite egregious. Uh, and I to, to weaponize the federal government against the people who pay for it is one of the most disgusting things yeah. I think you could have ever come up with. Right. Um, and it's it's not like these are criminals. These are people who want their children educated. And they don't want them shown pornography in schools, right. and they don't want them raped. <laughs> right. Go figure. These right. are outrageous radicals, right? Right. Um, but to me, again, I, I, do, I actually do think this is part of the silver lining. I, I mean it. Like I, okay. when when a, when a Democrat administration uses its attorney general to threaten parents for attending school board meetings, um, yeah. they're on thin ice, and they that yeah. tells me that they think they're out of time right. because they can't have a sober conversation about the merits of what they're doing because they know no one agrees with it. That's right. right? And what happened in that poor man, I forget his name, but I think it's uh, Mr. Smith, um, whose daughter was raped yes. in the high school in Loudoun County. You know, what was doubly egregious about that was they made him, uh, the, the National School Boards Association in its letter, tried to paint him as the poster child for the domestic terrorist movement, yep. <laughs> allegedly. That's right. And then Garland seized on that and he, you know, he... Uh, they were quick to basically, they basically swallowed that letter hook, line, and sinker. Right. You know they coordinated in advance because they can't, I mean, hell, you can't order copy paper, <laughs> copper, copier paper in like four days. That's right. And then the All Department right. of Justice swung into action against us domestic terrorists, right? Right, right. Um, well, it turns out the reason he was irritated at that school board meeting and then was wrestled to the ground was because he was trying to talk about how his daughter was raped and the school board was denying it. And by the way, Monica, I don't know if you've seen, a lot's happened in that space in the last few weeks. It now is clear that after many, many denials by all of those school board, school, yeah, sorry, school yeah. board members and the superintendent, uh, I believe his name is Scott Ziegler, 
turns out they all knew back in May and they were covering it up. Yeah. And, and turns the, out there's more cases. Am I right? Right. Uh, so they were, there were some really dangerous things that were happening there. In, and I don't just yeah. mean the, the rape, obviously that was terrible. And then sure. they, they did, with, have you noticed this trend, Monica, in academia across the country where schools take it upon themselves to conduct investigations and they don't call police anymore? Yeah, um, it's kind of like other, they, you know, institutions of our past that we've trusted. Right, well, like right. yeah, yeah. well yeah. they did that, like, and that was their, their justification for not flagging oh. it for law enforcement in time. And then I think what happened was they transferred that boy in a skirt quietly to another high school where he promptly raped another girl. And I think at that point, they said, okay, well, maybe we should do something about this. And they called the police. Yeah. That, should have, that phone call should have been made five minutes after the report. Sure, of um, course, of course. And uh, what's... What I think is happening there, and I'm just speculating here, is that that whole cover-up um, by the school board, by the superintendent, was part of tapering over the problems with the school's transgender policy. Yep. Uh, because that was that would have called out one of the major flaws in it, which is that the idea of letting uh, high school-age teenage boys in the girls' bathroom is a terrible idea. Right. Uh, and that would have just detonated the policy four or five months ago. Right. Uh, and they couldn't have that because that can't they can't damage a national priority whether or not, you know, even if kid here or there gets raped, it doesn't matter. They've got to stick to the plan. Yeah. <laughs> and right. Uh, it, right. It, unfortunately, it, it you know came out later than it should have, but it's out. Uh, and I think I hope this story in Loudoun County resonates with people across the country in your local school boards where you have a chance to make sure that they're not doing this and covering stuff up that's happening in your schools. Um you know, this ties back to the whole agenda. It's not just that. Yeah. It's we don't want our kids reading pornography without our heads up. That's <laughs> right? exactly. Little things like that. Right. Little things like that. And here's the thing, John. It's like, how are these people not prosecuted? How are they not brought up on charges for child pornography, for obstructing justice? I mean, they're concerned about pissed off parents who show up, you know, and pound sand. And and no one, I, that man, to my knowledge, at all the footage I've seen, he was not physically threatening violence. He was, he was asserting, like, how did this happen, and this did happen, and it happened on your watch, and to shut him down and shut him up, you know, they overplayed their hand as usual and tried to turn him into, you know, the, the crook, the terrorist. And I, I, nothing, nothing made me happier than the skewering that occurred last week with uh, A.G. Garland's, you know, time before Congress and the Senate. And you know, I thought Ted from Ted Cruz on, you know, it was like, thank you so much for speaking on our behalf, uh, Senator Hawley, you know, and, and standing up for us as parents where it's like, you don't have a right to weaponize our Department of Justice while your son-in-law is profiting, I might add, on the very curriculum that you're trying to push through with the Democrats across the country. Also, fun to note, I do think that parents are finally like, all right, we're done with this. So as far as the National School Board um, goes, how many states have removed themselves from partnering with the National School Board. Like, they're, they're no longer um, a part of that. They're not assigning value to it. I love it. I think it's a wave that's happening across the country where they're, like, looking at school choice. They're looking at homeschooling. I have told my audience, please make sure that you are paying very close attention to your state legislatures with regard to homeschooling because, without a doubt, they're coming for that. 
So, and I love it because this is, this is a galvanizing moment, I think, for the country with parents with regard to their kids. Because I don't care what side of the aisle you sit on. Most sane parents do not want their children being perverted in any way, shape, or form in their schools. And for all of the arguments that school choice, you know, uh, opponents have made over the decades that it is racial, it is, it is disenfranchising, it is, you know, it's white supremacy, all this crap uh, that they, all the feelings that they run with. Um, I think this is a great time for people, black, white, you know, pink, green, yellow across all persuasions to look at this and go, wait a minute. There's something like inherently wrong with this. These are children. So I'm glad. I, I agree with you. There's some silver lining to all of this. And I commend the people who are willing to, you know, to, to, to stand up and have their voices heard in spite of now being on a domestic terror watch list, according to DHS and, uh, and the FBI, which is, you know, very disconcerting as far as Virginia goes, how do you think this is going to play out tomorrow? I mean, I see a monster wave, uh, this very thing with parents, I think is what's given, um, uh, Youngkin his, uh, leg up, uh, not, also, because I think he is a viable candidate, clearly, and I think he will do good for the state of Virginia. But um, I, I see this as a a very um, uh, a very clear line of delineation between you know the psychos and the people who actually have uh, Virginia's best interests at heart. How do you see this playing out tomorrow? Well, Monica, I have to say, uh, first of all, I'm just, what I'm about to say regarding tomorrow's campaign is completely on behalf of myself and not on behalf of AFPI. Uh, but I will say this. I think uh, Glenn Youngkin has run an amazing campaign. Um, I think he's going to be a great governor. I, I think he's going to win tomorrow. Uh, he only wins if everyone in Virginia who's listening to me goes and turns out and votes and brings 10 people with them. Uh, but I, I think I can't imagine a scenario where he doesn't win because uh, if he's he's gotten everyone focused on these crucial issues of freedom, of education, prosperity, and he's done a really good job. I, I, you know, I'm a Republican, so I'm just used to failure. And I was, I was terrified because I'm always seeing, we always see these horrible campaigns. Glenn Youngkin has been a prize fighter and he has taken it to McAuliffe. In fact, I think he gets credit for getting under McAuliffe's skin and the beginning and the end for McAuliffe was that debate where he said, I don't think parents should be right. telling schools what to teach. Right. Uh, you know, and, and he never, he, he kept doubling and tripling and quadrupling down on yeah. taking parents out of the educational process. And, uh, you know, Mr. Young has done an amazing job of focusing on it. And, you know, I, 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 I if you care about education, if you care about freedom, if you care about your sure. kids being safe, if you care about being able to make a living, I don't see any choice other than to vote for Glenn Youngkin and the Republican team tomorrow. Right. Um, and, uh, but again, it's important to note that I think there's, Momentum, but momentum really only matters if people go to the polls. True. So um, the left is obviously going to try and cheat. Um, that's what they do. They they can't. Again, I don't think they can win elections elections without fraud now. Um, and they hire, the proof is that the Democrat Party of Virginia hired Mark uh, Elias, who is the chief fraud right. election fraud lawyer in the country for the Dems. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so uh, they're going to try. I'll tell you what they're going to. I can tell you right now what they're going to do. Uh, there are a few cases out there where uh, one, a public interest group in Virginia, uh, spearheaded by people who care about uh, honest elections, uh, brought a lawsuit saying, uh, "Well, we've noticed that like I think like five figures worth of absentee ballots were missing social security numbers," and uh, the judge said. We, the judge, in fairness, I haven't read the decision, but I think the judge may have thrown it out on standing, which means 
the people who sue were not the people who were allowed to sue. Uh, okay. um, I think the candidates have to sue. So that would be either you know, uh, Mr. Yunkin, uh, Winsome Sears, who's running for lieutenant governor, sure. or Jason Miyares, who's running for attorney general. They have standing. Okay. Um, but basically, you've got absentee ballots that lack social security numbers. I don't. We cannot. Those cannot be counted. Right. Um, right. What What you're also going to see there was another case where uh, the, U, the the Democrats sued the U.S. Postal Service, saying you didn't get us all our absentee ballots on time. Um, well, what they want to do is create a dynamic where some court says, okay, you've got them another three weeks to let these go through the system. I've got a better idea. If you requested an absentee ballot and you haven't gotten it. There's an election day tomorrow. You may go to the polls and vote in person. <laughs> right. Um, go figure. Yeah. Uh, but they don't want that. They want the ability to make a thousand Xerox copies of each right. of those and um, <laughs> right. just keep counting till they get the right result, Monica. That's right. So um, <laughs> yep. we we are only going to win if people focus on preventing fraud. That's right. Um, and it's in some ways that's the saddest thing I think you could say. I mean, I've talked to quite a few wonderful people in Virginia who are very excited about Yunkin. I've seen more Yunkin signs. and You don't see political signs around where I live. They're all over the place. And people have said something really sad. They've said, yeah, I'm pretty sure we'd win except for fraud. See? Like they've accepted. See? They're resigned to fraud now. We right. have to stop that, Monica, in Virginia and elsewhere, right. too. Right. I agree. I agree. Well, what would be, again, adjudication would be super helpful. I don't know what Mike Lindell thinks he's going to accomplish before the Supreme Court. You know, hey, anything's possible, I guess. I'm still play, praying for a miracle. I, I don't know anymore, but I know what I saw in my county. And I know yeah. what Wendy Rogers has been working on in Arizona relentlessly. I know what Javon uh, Hutton Pulitzer has been working on, Bobby Python, all of these, you know, um, uh, what's his name? Um Oh, goodness, with the, um, they were working diligently with Arizona. And I forget the name of the group. But, you know, the, the, all, these people have made, listen, these are analysts. They, they're, you know, their dog in the fight is, hey, this is for everyone. The election integrity is for all. And the left has made this so, uh, so myopic. And then, oh, this is all Trump supporters. You know, this is them. These are the election deniers. I'm like, no, you're the evidence deniers. You know, okay, you're an attorney. All right, so here's my question. When did an affidavit not become evidence? Can you answer that for me? Uh, it's, it still is evidence. Correct. In fact, it's, Thank it's, you. It's, it require a truthful, you're supposed to make a truthful statement and you can be punished under the law if you don't. Thank you. And I'm not saying <laughs> no one's ever submitted a false affidavit before. I'm sure it's happened, but hundreds of thousands of people have submitted these over the last year. Right. And uh, hey, uh, uh, Monica, speaking of Arizona, I don't know if you noticed, Fox News just called the Virginia governor's election for Terry McAuliffe. Uh, so, uh, I believe it. I hope, Was uh, it Brett Baer? <laughs> oh, it might have been Brett Baer. Yeah. It might have been Martha, Martha McDonald. I don't yeah. know. Uh, but uh, but uh, on, a, on a serious yeah. note on, on all of this, I think that this I, I do think that what we're seeing with elections is important. And so you mentioned the court before and, yeah. and Mr. Lindell, who I know is, is well, he's driven by the right goals. But we need to get away from the idea of thinking that courts control the country or are the final deciders of anything. There you go. Um, if anything, I've taken a bit of a solace in the fact that the courts have avoided doing anything valuable in this space, okay. which in the sense that that now means that political actors get to solve the problem because sure. they have advocated on their jurisdiction, which means it's now our call and they've basically given it to us. And I want to thank them for it. Right. Um, so governors, AGs, Republicans, Democrats That's out right. there, you have the obligation to make sure the right thing happens. Judges are not elected by people. You are. Amen. And you have a chance to make this solve the problems. So don't wait for a court to solve your destiny. Don't, you know, it's, I always think of that. Um, it's like that joke, Monica, about the man who was, living uh, in a floodplain 
and uh, he was, uh, it started to flood, and he got a radio broadcast saying that it was starting to flood, and uh, someone came by and tried to help him, and he said, no, God will take care of me, uh, you know, and then the water was rising, and somebody came up by a boat while he was on his roof, and he said, don't worry, the, God will take care of me. Right. Someone came by in a helicopter, and he said, don't worry, God will take care of me. Then the guy drowns, and in heaven, he's talking to God. He said, God, I thought you were going to take care of me. Like, I sent you a radio broadcast, a boat, a helicopter. What else do you want from me? Right. But you have to be your own solution in these problems. You cannot wait for someone to come by and make it better for you. That's right. Oh, my God. I could not have said any of that more perfectly. Thank you. Yes, and we have a special session apparently coming up in Georgia. People are calling for an audit to be a part of that the conversation. And you're right. People have abdicated on the state level. Your state legislatures are where the answers are. Your AGs. I mean, you know, I'm looking at that, you know, from the top down. You know what it is, John? I think people have forgotten that all government should be a bottom-up approach. Um, but however, we are now being governed by top down and purely, I believe because of abdication. I really do. So I, I could not have said that any better. I am praying for the outcome tomorrow. I, I am praying that people's hearts, you know, and minds will, um, will stand tight. I'm praying that the goalposts are actually cemented in Virginia so people cannot pick them up and run with them down the field. And even if they try, they'll trip and it just won't work. So, uh, that is my prayer for you guys. You're awesome. It is always a pleasure having you on my show. John Zadrozny, uh, director of America first policy Institute center for Homeland security and immigration. Thank you for being with us and, uh, you're welcome back anytime, sir. Thank you so much, Monica. Take care. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, guys. You guys living in Virginia, uh, time for you to get out and rock that vote tomorrow. Um, There's a lot riding on that election for sure. Because, And I'm going to tell you why. I think that when I say there's a lot riding on that, everything that you just heard, you know, is... Everything you heard John share from his years of experience, uh, expertise... Uh, knowledge, wisdom, uh, coming out of the Trump administration in years before that on Capitol Hill, uh, you know, someone who shapes policy and policy does affect you. It affects all of us, um, ultimately affects legislation and legislation affects our daily lives. You know, one of the reasons why the left is so um, hellbent on molesting and maligning uh, words and uh, flipping them inside out and on their head is because words do have power. Your legislation, I've said this since the day I got on the air six years ago, uh, with faith, life, and politics, the word is the word, right? The word has power. We know that our words have the power of life and death. We see now that our legislation is comprised of words, right? I've been saying that for six years now. And people are like, why are you so hung up on words? You know, we used to have a word of the day. Um, for instance, we just talked about affidavits being evidentiary, right? They're evidence used in a court of law. Lie on an affidavit that can come with penalties or it should, right? So there, when, when people like me and others are espousing that there was election fraud, there were election irregularities, it is not coming from a Trump cult standpoint. It is coming from pure um, knowledge, 
of what people did submit in the way of legal documentation. And yes, you do have courts that have not done their jobs and they have been politicized. So the left is always going to take your attempt to secure your autonomy and your liberty, right, and your safety. They're going to take that opportunity to try to shame you and to deny. And how do they do that? Through narratives. And what are narratives comprised of? Words. Very important to pay attention to what and uh, to whom you are listening. Very uh, important to do so. Your ear gates, your eye gates, those are all borders. Those are all borders into your soul. So no matter what happens tomorrow in Virginia, I want, because we know this will probably, you know, go on for a while. They've already set you up for that, actually, in Virginia. Um, But I want to encourage you to set your heart, to get your feet cemented in God is still on the throne. There's still great people in this country in positions of influence uh, knowledge, wisdom, authority, just like John Zadrozny and many others over at the America First Policy Institute who are working diligently to ensure that this country stays together as America first. There's nothing nationalistic in a in a malignant sense about that. There's, you know, there's American pride, there's American gratitude, right? I mean, if you're not putting your family first, if you're not putting your country first, your communities, your neighborhoods, um, yourself in a non-narcissistic way, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God first with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor with yourself. And upon these two things hinge all of the law. So that's it in a nutshell. You know, we sit around and secularize and humanize and, you know, try to dissect and feelings. And, and you know, like John said, the law is the law. And why are we not... Um, adhering to it and adjudicating it. Well, I'll tell you because there's a very real agenda. That's not hyperbole. It is not meant to scare you. It is to call you to action to first hit your knees and to ask God to intervene on our behalf, which every civilization, every people before us, um, you know, has been documented is doing who actually came up out of, um, uh, slavery in, in the, in the, in the base sense of slavery, right? Going into captivity. We are currently in captivity in case you haven't noticed. We're being held captive by narratives, false narratives, malignancies, maligning, uh, false accusations. Um, and people who are being rightfully accused of malfeasance are not seeing, um, the, the repercussions of that. They're not, and they will, they will one day. It's important for you to realize that. So I want to encourage you in that, that, you know, don't try to take things into your own hands um, in some crazy taking to the streets way. Uh, You know, don't take this stuff into your heart where it festers into bitterness and unforgiveness. You become suspicious of everyone around you. No, there are a very few people with a very global agenda trying to take us down. And I keep telling you this day after day, show after show, there are more of us than there are of them. And I really don't like speaking in those terms, but you do have to know who your enemy is. You just do. You have to know that spiritually and you have to know it applicably, uh, you know, here uh, temporally, 
on the ground. You have to know that. And your enemies are first fashioned in the spirit because everything begins in the spirit. So when I ask you to hit your knees first, it's because a lot of people are held captive and they don't even know it. They just don't, but God does. And so when you pray for your enemies and you bless those who spitefully use you, right, then you activate the economy of heaven and for his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And that is what we are called to do uh, as America first, as God first, and America always patriots. Okay, as always, I love you guys. Thank you for being here with me today. Uh, Who knows who will be on the show tomorrow. It's always exciting. But uh, I want you to be good to your neighbor, beginning your own mirror. And remember, if you're an American, act like one.